Dr. Rocky, why are physical schools reopening now, even though we haven't yet vaccinated our children? So as we've learned during the pandemic, going to physical school is how children and teenagers learn best, right? So even my kids, they're, they're totally uh, undergoing online fatigue at the moment. So we all know that every child is different and every child learns best physically. Many children get other vital sources that they need in school. For example, the meal vouchers and, and uh, equipment and things like that. And anybody above 12 and currently eligible should register and get the COVID-19 vaccine. There are ongoing trials for vaccines in the below 12 years old. And actually, in fact, just last night, um, FDA, um, sorry, Pfizer has actually announced that uh, they're going to start giving the vaccines for 5 to 11 years old. So that's pretty good and interesting news. Yeah, um, I saw that coming out, actually, thanks to you. Yeah, you yeah. posted it. Yes. Um, physical schools are actually basically reopening because not every child is privileged to get online learning, computers, or even stable Wi-Fi connection. You know, we've all seen pictures of students crowding around a street lamp with one handphone trying to look at uh, what the teacher is teaching or trying to even get some sort of connection, climbing onto trees and things like that. So not every child is as privileged as some of us in the urban areas sitting down and in an air-conditioned room with your personal laptop, your personal table and things like that. So we're looking at the not-so-privileged lot. Um, not every parent can afford to work from home. Think of the daily wages. You know, Imagine if your parent is one of those who are on the street selling um, nasi lama or you know, the daily, daily sort of thing, or their construction workers. How are they going to go to work when they're supposed to stay at home to take care of their kids? Mm. Who is supposed to be in school? You know, So they've lost their daily wage income. You've lost their revenue. They have no money to even buy uh, food, which the food is supposed to be from school because they're under the um, food voucher program. You know, mm-hmm. So you're talking about all these sort of kids rather than just the privileged lot. And then don't forget the teachers. Not every teacher is able to cope with online teaching as well. You know, trying to constantly engage with more than 30 students at yeah. a go, you know, in some private schools where it's just from 8 o'clock in the morning right up to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It is tiring, it is, it is stressful, and it's not a fun job, you know, versus a teacher who has connection with a child in a physical class. Now you've got to constantly look into a screen and decide who's paying attention, who switched off their screen. Is that child sitting with somebody else? Oh, I've got to think about the sibling. Or oh, is the sibling in the same room? You know, so mm. there's so many other factors that are going on. And online teaching is not what teachers were taught in teaching schools. I mean, let's just be very clear about that. Nobody right. taught teachers to do that. And it's something that they had to learn throughout the pandemic, like a lot of other things that we had to do. Now, I'm going to touch a little bit about special needs children. So when we talk about special needs children, it, we have to understand that special needs children are having it 10 times worse. Mm-hmm. It actually takes a lot for these children to learn anything via a 2D image, via online, via mm-hmm. anything that does not involve physical connection. And we have to remember that some of these children have certain stages of their brain um, where it's what we call brain plasticity, where if you don't connect with them in those golden periods, those first few years of their life, they sort of lose function in these small, small parts of their brain. So it's Mm. very important for the special needs children, those who've got different abilities, to be able to go back to their physical schools um, more so rather than the the able-bodied kids. I'm also going to touch a little bit about vulnerable children. You know, don't forget these. Um, aboriginal children, the ones that are stateless children, the refugee children, mm. you know, all mm. vulnerable lot that nobody really talks about. We all talk about our own kids and that's about it. 
Yeah. You know, and finally, I'm not going to touch so much about mental health, but we all know that children yes. as well as adults go through mental health anxiety, go through mm-hmm. um, a lot of mental health issues for the fact that they can't go back to school. Not only that, so I had a kid um, the other day who was scared to go back to school. So she's like, doctor, you know, they announced I'm going to go back to school, but I don't want to go back to school. And I'm like, why? She's like, what if I don't have any more friends? What if they're not there anymore? Right, I see, I see. Right, okay, okay. Yeah. Not so much about the, the, the virus itself, but okay, I see. Yeah, not so much of the virus. They're not worried. They're more worried about the <laughs> anxiety of going to a new environment. And some of us are changing schools for these kids. You know, like suddenly you're in kindergarten where you're in a happy, um, very colorful yeah. space. And it's like, exactly. Or you are a standard six kid and then now you're going into form one, a totally different new environment. So these are the kids that are going through a different sort of um, anxiety issue or I would say they're anxious, they're undergoing a lot of other sort of mental health issues rather than just the usual, the ones that they mentioned, you know, the kids are depressed, they want to go back to school, they're not doing so well, you know. So I'm just touching a little bit on another aspect of mental health that a lot of us are not actually looking into, the going back to school for kids. Actually, you know what, Dr. Raki, you are just saying like the uh, internet may not, may not be good and they, they, they may be vulnerable and whatnot. Actually, even for adults, like I'm doing online studying right now, and it's it's a nightmare. I've got great connection at home. I'm very comfortable at home, but it's still very very tough. Even as an adult, I can imagine that if you're a kid going through this, it must be ten times as hard. It is. It is. And you try to imagine you you and your class like there's just three of us, and I'm already finding it difficult for three of us. Oh <laughs> yeah, the focus, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If I've got a best friend in class, and I'm trying to look at my best friend's face at the same time, trying to look at my teacher, trying to teach. And I always keep telling my kids, put their teacher on um, the main uh, main screen, put the teacher on main screen, but certain apps don't allow that, and it goes mm-hmm. to whoever is speaking. And then now you've got 30 kids who are unmuting themselves, teacher, I need to go to the toilet, and then they mute back themselves, teacher, I want to go and get a snack, you know, then unmute themselves. It's a perfect so storm of things that can happen, yeah. it will happen. <laughs> it's it's, it's an assault. Initial, yes, it's an assault of sensation. In the mm. initial Everybody was excited. I've got my own laptop. I've got this. I've got that. And now it's my kids are like, you know, uh, school again. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm so <laughs> done with it, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So I'm not going to push them because I know they're going through what we call online fatigue. And um, not to forget, eye, eye issues as well have cropped up quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, my kid has been in suffering from that. The sort of headaches coming from the eye strain yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah. But if we could just go back and touch on sort of the the virus just for a little while, you know, um, can we talk about the risk of sort of children being exposed to a virus that's moving in terms of how it's spread and now towards airborne with the new variants and stuff? What, should we be concerned about that? Okay, so moving on from pandemic to endemic, I think that's what's being discussed Mm -hmm. by Mm -hmm. Ministry of Education, Ministry of Health, and every minister that wants to say something on, on, uh, you know, media, so moving on to living with the virus, that's, you know, learning to live with the virus. That's basically what endemic means. You want to learn, you want to be able to live with the virus in a sustainable but safe way. So what, what we need to do is prioritize safety. That's the number one priority. When you want to reopen schools, safety is the number one priority for these kids, right? Everyone's risk is different. So we need to be able, there's no more kita jaga kita. You know, it's a Diri Jagas and because you have to think within your whole family unit. You know, I think um, some of our YBs have been mentioning the travel bubble. 
the vaccine bubble and all these bubbles so i call my family the family family unit bubble you know so anybody within my own family bubble i need to be able to to tell the risk i need to be able to mitigate the risk if i have a, a big unit i have a parents elderly people in my house if i have a child who's got cancer who's undergoing chemotherapy i've got to see my risk you know so is it worth i've got two kids one who has cancer one who doesn't is it worth sending the one who doesn't have cancer to school at the risk of bringing at bringing back whatever virus to the other one you know so you've got to see the risk within your own family of course you also have to look into other factors like you have to go back to work um is there no other person that can take care of your kid you know this is especially for the younger ones you know the preschool the preschool ones and all that mm. so everybody's risk is different and we have got to look at that risk on a more personal basis rather than a blanket rule everybody don't go to school okay everybody go to school i mean that's right yeah that i think we're done with blanket rule we have to start moving on towards self individual risk mitigation so that we can move on to a more sustainable way of life in the new norm and we do know that children appear less likely than adults to actually have severe illness illnesses hospitalization or being admitted to icu for covid-19 infection um in fact lately there was a study done um in university malaya that showed that out of the number of transmissions that we had 1% was the ones that transmitted from school compared to the other more than 90% that was actually due to home transmission mm-hmm. which means right. the family at home gave it to the kid rather than the kid picked it up from school and we mm-hmm. know that worldwide you know let's just look at data worldwide where schools have already been open mm-hmm. schools have already been, you know ours is the only one that's blanket closure and in fact there are only 17 countries in the world that are still closing the schools you know so why are we not following the other 100 over countries and we look at that data and we don't seem to see a spike in cases despite the schools being open you know so that's something that you know is it's a good sign the fact that if there is a rise in community cases then there's a way it goes so which means if you live in a very high prevalent community uh, where the virus load is really high then your chances of you picking it up from school is probably a little bit higher but if you live in a low prevalence like you know most of us are vaccinated in plang valley and certain other states in malaysia then your risk of getting the disease from school is much more lower and mm-hmm. we know that children pick this up much less likely and they are less likely to transfer as well okay so let's talk about sort of how we get them there there's been a lot of confusion when it comes to schools reopening sops current set of guidelines so you know what should we all follow Okay, so first of all this was not a rush reopening huh? a lot of people are saying oh why did he just you know it is within two weeks he came up with this guideline and so no this is not a rushed opening i think all of us stakeholders from various places have been in planning stages since mid of this year we've actually been coming up with guidelines so it's been planning for for many many months and we're actually looking into improving the currently available ministry of education guidelines that was published in february this year So before the delta hit us we already had guidelines of school reopening in february right. and um we were just looking at how to improvise it once we knew that it went from contact to airborne you know so basically including uh, safe building policies safe classroom policies um safe environment policies what are the activities that are probably better off in a environment where you don't want to create so much of aerosol spread you know like you want to cut down on singing rather than you know and talking loudly you don't want to have loud choirs you don't want to have concerts that are involved for school you know so all those came into place so that we could add on to the already filled guidelines and which are available on the ministry of education website so we're looking at 
all these Ministry of Education guidelines and trying to improvise it. So when YB Dr. Dr. Razi had actually announced the reopening of pooling in stages according to various national recovery plans, and this is beginning 3rd October, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and basically in summary, there are four phases um, according to the our national recovery plans. So phase one is when all schools are closed, um, nobody's allowed to start anything. And I don't think there are many there are many states that are in phase one at the moment. So now we're looking more at phase two, phase three. Phase two is where all exam going classes will restart, and all kindergartens, daycare, or preschools that are under the Ministry of Education uh, will also reopen. Phase three is where all schools will reopen in stages um, on a two weekly to one monthly basis, with the reintroduction of standard one to three and standard four to six. You know the classes will be will be divided. Um, and private schools are allowed to reopen with 50% capacity and which increases to 70% in two weeks and then finally full capacity once uh, get into the hang of things. But are they doing Phase- that the two group thing now as well, the mm-hmm. group A, group B thing right now? So it's just half capacity. Like week class. swapping. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's the confusing part, you know. So let me just go back to phase four, just the last phase. All schools will reopen but will change according to the risk assessment that is done on a regular basis. Which means suddenly if there's some new ways, like a new uh, variant, you know, some, I don't know, Godzilla variant, you know, and then you want to really shut down everything. So you've got to risk mitigate. Again. Right. So that's phase where everything is open again and you just go that. So that's the sustainable one. Um, and class capacity, according to YB's announcement, would be reduced to 50%. And there will be weekly rotation. So what they will do is sort of like, okay, so that's it. Just say you have a standard one class of 40 kids. So they will divide this into 20 kids, 20 kids. So group A will be 20, the other group uh, group B will be 20. And these children will rotate on a weekly basis. Group A, the first 20 will, will come to school in the first week. Group B will come to school in the week after. So that's what he meant by uh, right, a right. weekly basis. But the exception for this would be, of course, small schools. So we do have small schools in uh, rural areas that have less than 150 children. Um, you have certain hosts, uh, hostels can't do that. So if you're in a fully ashrama school, we don't follow this 50% thing. I mean, there's no way where you're going to put the other kids Correct, in a yeah. hostel. Right. It's the same place anyways, them. right? Same yeah. place anyways. So they have other mitigation methods for hostels as well. Um, then you have a special needs school, which can run at full capacity. There will be no uh, switching of uh, rotations. Uh, and you have the preschools and certain international schools. So these are the exceptions to those who will have to run on a weekly basis because they have equipment and capacity that can actually um, sustain these children and um, accommodate the children in a better way. All right. So in this case, uh, it's like a flow. If you if you have, it's like a low flow chart. In case anything happens, go back to the previous one and then keep, keep uh, follow it again, yes. is it? Yes, correct, correct. So the other thing you also mentioned was that school sessions will start in March next year. So just say you have a six-year-old kid that's going to be seven, going to be joining Standard 1, you will start Standard 1 in March next year. You won't start in January. Yes. And if you have, yeah, I can see JD's face going confused. Yeah. (laughs) Staggering the start, basically. But this is not for private or international schools. It's only for for the government schools. Okay. Right? Because private and international have their own um, capacity and most of them have less less children in class and they have already been doing full form online learning compared to um, certain government schools. So that's why they, are, they will continue with their January to the regular schedule that they have. Um, the other aspect to schooling that will change is school uniforms are no longer compulsory. I think this is very good because it's just adding on, yeah, yay! Yes. It is just 
adding on more expenditure like to you know the the daily wage parents you know like even for me i bought school uniforms again and again and none of them can fit anything anymore so i mean like, I'm in the same position last year when everything was opening up. It's like, okay, everything's going back to normal. I yeah. had to buy a full new set because he'd grown a couple yeah. of inches. And yeah. right now, if school were to start tomorrow, he can't fit any of them. You know, he's grown again exponentially. And, so, And you don't buy one set. You buy like probably two or three sets. And all that three set is considered yep. you know, gone. So, so that's a good thing. So there's no compulsion to wear uniforms. Um, and they will not be penalized if they are not able to attend so remember when i mentioned the personal risk basis so now if you have an elderly parent at home a grandparent or you know someone that's above 65 with multiple comorbidities um you might want to say okay i want to hold first sending my kids to school the child will not be penalized um by anybody if they can't go to school we will just try to be able to accommodate some form of hybrid learning or the teacher will sort of accommodate some form of learning to carry on until the end of okay. the year um in your opinion, would there be any other system or thing to add or to implement uh, in terms of back-to-school SOPs? We have to make it simpler. Just explaining all of that was, you know, quite a well, handful. Confusing to I me said, even. I was like, huh? You know, yeah. So it's really confusing for anybody. So I sat through the whole press conference for one hour plus um, and I gave a briefing before and after and it, the first thing that came to mind was this is confusing for a lot of people and I think we just need to make it simpler, less confusing to understand, easier for parents, for grandparents because we've got to take into consideration that some yes. grandkids are actually being taken care of by their grandparents to make it easier for them. We should not attach, this is my personal opinion, we should not attach school reopenings to recovery phases. You know, right. I think it should be the most sustainable long-term plan in place rather than, okay, so if we go back to this space and we move on to this space, it's going to be very confusing to to monitor, to maintain. The schools are going to be utterly confused. There should be a more sustainable way of reopening schools for us. Think long-term, right? Long-term. Yes. Mm. And I would also like to say that we should decentralize certain decision-making. You know, like something that may be urgent shouldn't be, we do, shouldn't have to wait for politicians or policies to be changed before we can make those decisions. We should decentralize certain decisions, certain decisions to certain schools. You know, let the school management be able to make small, small decisions, you know, so that it's not, you constantly have to wait for, for somebody up there somewhere to say something before things can happen. Oh, I see. Empowering so, uh, the, the school itself to actually make the decision because they know what's going on yeah. on the ground level. That's Yes, I'm not trying to take away power from the people in power, but I'm just trying to say empower the ones who are at a level. I mean, we've got really, uh, when I went for the meeting with all these boobasas and principals and all that, you know, they hold authority. They've been in this business for many, many years. You've got Toko Fadideka and you've got all these educational, um, you know, people that we look up to. So they are, these are the people that we should be able to, you know, so in all schools, we have some of these people who are manning the schools, the head principal, the deputy principal, the discipline teacher. We should be able to empower some schools to be able to make small, small decisions. I'm not saying huge decisions, but small decisions so that they, they can carry on with uh, opening and closing of school, with risk mitigation, what to do if you come in contact. And I think all those, need, you sort of need to decentralize some decision making at some point. Okay, um, what would be your simplistic checklist then for parents to get children ready for the new Norman school? I think we've got to prep them. Remember when I mentioned about the ang- anxious kids going back to school? 
So some of them are very happy that they don't want to go to school. But I see so many children that are really excited because they're like, you know, I'm going to see you. Like my kids are making plans with their with their friends. I'm going to see you next month. You know, I'm going to see you in a couple of days. Yeah, you know, we're going to meet each other. What are you going to wear? You know, now there's no uniform. <laughs> that batch of kids who are extremely excited, albeit their parents are hugely anxious. You know, so you've got to take into consideration that kids um, are super excited. So they're going to. They're gonna snack more. They're gonna sleep less because they're excited. So you gotta make sure your kids have enough rest, enough sleep, and prep them into a routine. Because you've got another, I think, one two weeks before we we start back school for some of the children. Prep them into a routine. All of us have gone haywire with our routines. Nobody wakes up at six o'clock in the morning anymore to catch a bus to school. Everybody is up at like maybe eight thirty to catch the eight forty five class. You know, or a forty-five on the dot to switch on the camera. You know, and then blur out the background. So, so we want to make sure they get back into some sort of schedule. Um, help for the younger ones. Help them prep with their book because they may have lost touch with which books are important, which books uh, I'm supposed to bring. Is there some sort of you know um, class schedule that you're supposed to follow? So talk to the teachers for parents. Talk to the teachers and find out is it going to be exactly how the online classes work. Or it is going to be a little bit of a change so that there's some sort of transition for those children to get back in school. Um, I also feel that for certain kids, you've got to prep them. You've got to talk to them. You've got to explain to them what the latest, what what is happening around the world. Why are we sending them back to school? Because some are scared. Because not all, but some are scared because of COVID nineteen and all that. So talk to them about the data. Talk to them about. Um, certain things that you can at an age-appropriate level, you know. So if you've got a 16, 17-year-old teenager who's a bit worried and wants to know about the risk and things like that, talk to them as an adult, you know, because they're almost there and they they understand what's going on around the world. They can Google everybody, even a five-year-old kid can Google and find out COVID nineteen. Oh, nasty picture! You've even got nasty cartoons on YouTube that show what's going on. Yeah. You talk to your kids and prep them, um, and you know, just to show that. The data from MOH Ministry of Education, Ministry of Health, from January to May 2021, there were only this is January to May, yeah, 2.5 cases, 2.5 percent of the cases were attributed to school setting. You know, so it's a very, very small amount, and we now know that when you follow the public health measures that are in place, especially universal masking, uh, frequent hand washing. Um, maintaining your distances between three to six feet, one to two meters, or whatever you want. So these are all measures that have been put in place to reduce this risk even further. Um, of course, do not scare these kids. You know, don't tell them, "Oh, you know how many kids have died? Uh, you know how many kids have this and that? You know, you can get COVID nineteen and die." Yes, you can get it, but you have to realize that mortality rate in Malaysia for children who died of COVID nineteen is zero point zero two percent. It is not a number that we can forget. 